Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 63 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, cannibalistic wendigo. (laughs) And joining us tonight, you know him from Dementia Part 2, Beyond the Gates, the uh, upcoming film Bliss, which he produced, and also the upcoming short One Last Meal, and also the Halloween 6 episode of this show, it's Mr. (laughs) Matt Mercer. Matt, Hello. Oh, hello. Well, well, well. Welcome back, happy sir. How back. are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm happy to be back. We are, so excited. We are happy to have you back. This is an absolute joy. <laughs> Same. I'm super thrilled and I'm super psyched to talk about this movie. This is an interesting one. Um, so obviously you're not our first returning guest, but you're the first one that's come back to us with an idea. Yeah, I re-watched this recently mm-hmm. and it just, every time I've watched it since it came out, I saw it in the theater when it came out. And I feel like I revisit it once every, I'd say, two or three years. Mm-hmm. Right. Every time I do, it just gets better. And I start to realize what a forgotten classic it is. I mean, it's just, it's a really entertaining film. It's beautifully shot. It's really exciting. And it also has, it's an incredible allegory too. (laughs) (laughs) A metaphor for, you know, manifest destiny and the American ideal of manifest destiny and how it's fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) So I just rewatching it. And I also just love the cast. So rewatching it, I want to say it was like three weeks ago, maybe that I hit you guys up. I was like, if you need an episode soon, I would love to come back and talk about Ravenous because it's an incredible movie. And yeah, and in case you missed that there, the film we're talking about is the, sadly the late Antonio Bird's 1999 film Ravenous. Yes, yes. A marvelous film that, uh, yeah, unfortunately she's not with us anymore and uh, it's, a, it's a great film. Yeah, um, so you were saying you've seen this a few times uh, since it came out, yeah. but yeah, you also saw it in the theatre. I did, I did. And I, I for some reason I thought I saw it in high school, but it, when it came out when I was in college, so I must have seen it in college for the first time. Mm. And I feel like my the, I, the first time I saw it, I I don't think I fully got it. Right. Probably, yeah. I, I understood that they there was more to it than just cannibals run amok and <laughs> you know <laughs> cannibalism in the in the mountains. But um, I mean, I think the main reason I went to see it to begin with was I was a huge Guy Pierce fan. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I really liked him in L.A. Confidential, and uh, and I liked I was a huge Robert Carlyle fan as well because I loved Train Spotting. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, these two guys together in a horror movie, and being a horror fan, I was just like, I have to see this. Had we had Memento at this point? Ooh, that's a good question. I was say, it's, it's right, it's right the around the same time, I think. I'm on it. I'm on it. Yeah. Just, Are you looking it up? Oh no, two thousand was Memento. Oh, so Memento was next. Yeah, this was so. This was right before. Okay. Interesting, interesting. So, Matt, yeah. you've been here before. You know what's coming next. Um, <laughs> this is going to be interesting. I think. Are you good to <laughs> attempt a thirty-second synopsis on Ravenous if I get you in? I, I am, but I want to preface this and say I did not. I feel like some people who've come on recently <laughs> have sort of jotted notes and prepared. I, I'm going to try to wing this again. One hundred percent. I respect that. Yeah, I respect that. That's the way it should be done, Matt. I think we've actually <laughs> yeah. had someone uh, pre-record this. 
Oh no, no which no. I think's outrageous. Although I think it's bloody outrageous. I, th- I think that it is cheating, but also I kind of, I kind of, uh, I deducted a star for the fact it was pre-recorded, but it did rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. If you're going to pre-record it, at least do it as a haiku or a poem or rhyme it. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. yes, um, so off the top of your head, you're going to go for this. Uh, let's do it. All right, three, two, one, go. Upon returning from the Mexican-American War, John Boyd a decorated, is being decorated as a war hero at a dinner. When uh, he gets nauseous and throws up, his captain realizes that he's probably not a war hero and reassigns him to a place called Fort Spencer uh, in the middle of nowhere in the Sierra Nevadas where he runs afoul of a potential cannibalistic threat. Okay. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> I, I love that you you kind of you kind of ran out of steam and you were like, oh, I'm running out of time and steam, so I will just say potential cannibalistic threat and cover all my bases yeah. in one fell swoop. And 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 dread and events ensue. <laughs> well, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to have what I, that was the opposite of what happened to me on Halloween six. Which is, I got to like Jamie Lloyd escaping, and I, that was it. Yeah, it was, like, I, it, it was kind of like it was like a very, very vivid description of the first seven minutes of the film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this was vaguely. This was vaguely ravenous. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think that I, I think we should just jump right into this. Yeah, I, for sure. Um, I love a film that opens with an on-screen quote. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, I was seeing this for the first time, and I, we literally finished watching it like twenty minutes ago, and. I wondered about how it kind of balances some of the kind of tonal stuff. And I think that the opening is a good representation of that because the two quotes are a Nietzsche quote. (laughs) Uh, Namely, he that fights with monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster and then eat me from Anonymous. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, which is accompanied by a really goofy cartoonish like bow and arrow sound, like an arrow hitting a target sound. (laughs) 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 Like, okay, I don't know if we needed that. That feels like a stu- like studio uh, interference. Like, well, we got to tell the audience that we we know what the tone of this is, and it's supposed to be kind of a comedy. Yeah, uh, um, it's, it's very strange. I think very very strange. Yeah, the tone of the film. I mean, I I really like the film. I'm just going to come right out straight off the bat and say that I also saw it in the cinema. Um, and yeah, I I think I kind of fall into the same boat as you, Matt. Where the first time I didn't really get it. I was completely flummoxed by how the score works with what you're seeing on the screen and the the tone of it I found very, very jarring, but subsequent watches have kind of smoothed that out for me a little bit, uh, with the exception of the score, which I still find jarring. Right, yeah. I, I mean, that's part of the reason I wanted to talk about this movie is because it, it I had a, an extremely similar experience to you, like I said, and I think the tone is... I, from what I've read, Antonia Bird, I mean, she was a replacement. She came to save the movie, basically. Yeah, that's right. And there's, I, I think she was probably saddled with some stuff that was already there, but has her own voice as a filmmaker. And on top of that, when you're making a, a horror comedy like this and you have to, and you have allegorical elements, it is hard to find a tone. And you can kind of, despite the fact that I think this movie has been reappraised over the years, and I find it brilliant, and I think most people do now, it was really lambasted at the time it came out because people did not get it. 
<laughs> yeah. the, the tone is just between the music. I mean, you brought up the music. That's a really good point. I think the score by uh, Michael Nyman and Damon Albarn. That's right. Yeah, it's a really cool score, but it's sometimes it's you can tell that they kind of just went in a direction. They maybe weren't quite sure what it should be. <laughs> Or what tone it should highlight? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I had a reaction to the score to this that I don't know if I've ever had to any other film, which was that I liked almost all the pieces in isolation, but I don't know if I could take a step back from it and think that it's a particularly cohesive score. It's pretty all over the map, and I don't mean that entirely in a bad way. No, 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 no. There, yeah. are, there are points where it's kind of charming and it, it kind of works, but I feel like there's moments where it totally pulls you out of what you're seeing on the screen. Like, there's one chase scene near the start that, that's got a, I think we both used the word caperish quality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, it's it's weird. It's Are you weird. talking about the scene outside of the cave? Where yeah. They yeah. To... yeah, I think that's the, the one piece of score that feels like it was grabbed from a library or something. I mean, they may have done that piece, but it just doesn't, I agree with you, that isn't quite right. No, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I say at the start, we see uh, John Boyd, played here by Guy Pearce, uh, being given a medal for uh, service during the Mexican War. The point just shortly before he throws up, uh, considering it's like really incidental stuff, uh, one, the food looks revolting and the eating <laughs> sound on the soundtrack, they, they sound edit the shit out of this and it's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> it's so gross and the, and the foley here and the sound effects make it even more nauseating. I mean, Guy Pierce is being honored at this dinner for, for being a war hero. We don't know yet exactly what he's done, obviously, but his reaction to just the, these troops eating around him and munching and gnawing and breathing heavy, he immediately pukes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which, yeah I think it's side. a fair reaction. Yeah, a very fair reaction, <laughs> especially considering what he's been through, which we find out later. And this is, when he pukes, that's the title card, which I think is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> and it's with this, like, sort of jail cell door slamming sound. <laughs> that's, this is where the main theme kicks in, which I do like the main theme, which is this sort of, I don't know if it's an atonal banjo or what that is, but... I like this theme a lot. Oh yeah, mm. is, is this the one that we kind of like? Yeah, it kind of it kind of comes in chiming, and the kind of there's kind of like a string section that kind of wraps around it. Yeah, yeah, there's a string section that wraps around it. It has this almost uh, pastoral American pastoral vibe. Yeah. To the score, and, but it's atonal and and warped. Mm-hmm. It's like a the pitch is bent on it, kind of, and it's it's mm. so weird. But it's that piece of music to me is perfect. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So as you say, he's kind of like very kind of quickly off the back of this. He's dispatched to Fort Spencer. Yeah. What what precisely happens here? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> uh, so just like so, are, are like well, they they find out he wasn't the the hero that he claimed to that he be. claims to be. Yeah. Uh, or perhaps yeah. he didn't even claim to be, but they just believed him to be, and they because he he seems quite a shy, retiring kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's. His superior, played by John Spencer, and this was John Spencer's last feature film yeah, right. yeah. before he died. Um, just after he sees him puke, he just comes up to him after dinner and goes, uh, you're not a war hero, I'm sending you to this shithole. <laughs> <laughs> In the middle of nowhere. And Boyd is like, oh, sure, yeah, that's fine. I, and I, what I like about Guy Pearce in this, too, is that he, he doesn't, He's kind of a milk toast guy, but he, he, I, he doesn't try to be anything that he's not. He's like, yeah. He's openly shying away from it. So then, the, yeah, the credits just introduce the environment, 
and him showing up there yeah. at Fort Spencer. I mean, it's one thing about this movie is it moves very quickly. It jumps from one thing to the next very, very, it's very paced up. Yeah, it really, really doesn't mess around. I think perhaps it moves no quicker than when you get the introductions to all the characters right at the start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. He shows up at this place and... Um, yeah, he's talking to Jeffrey Jones, uh, Colonel yeah. Hart here. And then, yeah, he talks about the fact that they've got a skeleton staff, but then, then he just shoots through everybody by name and kind of chief personality trait <laughs> and they all get like three seconds of screen time and like i am um, i kind of try yeah, and w- when i watch something for the first time i kind of try and get character names and stuff down like really early doors in my notes and basically after like when i realized what was happening i was like to andy i was like wait 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 no pause it pause it right <laughs> yeah i had to um re-watching it because i watched it again after i had the idea of doing this and i had to like rewind that part three times <laughs> yep. so rapid fire just to get the character names right because uh yeah i mean it's, it really works oh yeah it's a cool sequence ah, and it's a incredibly I, economical way to introduce you to the people that you're going to be spending the rest of the film with without really right. bothering to write anything for them yeah it's great and my favorite i mean what are, what's your uh, favorite my favorite introduction is probably private Right. Yeah, mine's probably uh, <laughs> Neil McDonough's character just standing in the he's the the hard hardened soldier. He's just standing in the river the freezing cold river screaming. Yeah, just shirtless <laughs> screaming into the void. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Also for a soldier called Reich, he's incredibly Aryan looking. Oh yeah, that's dead on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that is there and that is not subtle. Mm-mm. Um also yeah, like so just very quickly, uh to go through them as quickly as they do, you've got um a private Toffler. Yeah, yeah, Jeremy Davis, who was in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, who is uh, the quiet religious guy that ends up going crazy. <laughs> Major Knox, alcoholic. Uh, yep. Ma- Martha and George, who are just Martha and George, as far as I can tell. They're like, they're like the kind of Native American guides. They are the groundskeepers and guides, I think. there's not They don't fill in their backstory too much until later on. Yeah, I was going to say like a fair bit later. And um, the uh, air quotes, over, uh, over-medicated Private Cleaves. <laughs> played by david arquette who i wish was in the movie more than he is but he's great yeah he could yeah we could stand to see a little more of him i think i i absolutely agree for somebody who has like he's billed pretty high up on all the promotional stuff uh, yeah he really doesn't have a lot to do at all except for the, the kind of dream yeah. sequence where he gets murdered in a dream yeah that's the most striking moment that he has Definitely. in the whole movie dream sequence for sure definitely which i'm sure will We'll get to. Of course. He's like, this was, I mean, I don't know. He like, when was this? This was after Scream. This was between like Scream 2 and 3, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. So he was at his peak. Yeah, he was like a pretty, he was a pretty hot booking at this point. Yeah, like if this were a 70s movie, he would have been, he would have had the credit special guest appearance by. Yeah. Yeah. This might have been around about the time that he was a WCW world champion. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Because that really happened. Yeah, that did happen. Oh, my God. Well, we're talking about career peaks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the peak. I'm sorry. I misspoke. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like after Boyd arrives here and he has this conversation with uh, Hart, um, we get um, a few more flashbacks, and it does bear mentioning that they're very brief, but this one was flashback heavy. Yeah, it drops a fair few in there. But, um, yeah, we get a little bit more of um, uh, kind of his backstory and what actually happened to him in the war, which... Um, I think it's kind of, it's not the antithesis to being a war hero, but when he basically says that he was buried behind Emily, enemy lines after being mistaken for a corpse. <laughs> yeah, he plays dead uh, and gets piled, just, he, he lays down in the middle of battle. I mean, he's definitely a, a coward. Mm-hmm. Um, he freaked out, laid down, 
played dead, and they piled him under some bodies, and the blood of the bodies ran into his mouth, and it invigorated him. He bursts out of the bodies, grabs a gun, and takes the fort. Now, granted, much like Fort Spencer in this movie, the, the, it looks like the Mexican fort he takes is underpopulated. <laughs> he yes. takes about three guys down. But he takes the fort himself, and so he has a heroic moment the movie is suggesting because he drank this blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's and a, a situation that he got himself into as a direct consequence of his cowardice. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is which, which I think is I think is pretty interesting. Martha and George are dispatched at this point, not dispatched in the way that we normally talk about people being dispatched on the show. They just go on a mission uh, to go get supplies. Um, with Cleves. With Cleves, crucially. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no weed, no women. And he is he complains about it. He's like, well, what else am I going to do? You know, well... stay stay on target Cleves exactly stuck on the road listening to Martha and George in the covered wagon Um, yeah yeah. (laughs) um, a closer look at Toffler the priest next who seems to be kind of like the um, uh, I say priest I know he's not but um, as the kind of butt of the joke here because like his prayer kind of like when they're doing the kind of saying grace he kind of gets made fun of there and uh, yeah I think like they like spoilers but like he's not around for long Toffler and uh, they Cramming quite a few jokes at his expense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the sense you get is that all these people are at, uh, the sense I get from it anyway, is that all these people are at, they've been, Fort Spencer is just sort of needs to be maintained. It's like a way station just in case probably. And all of these soldiers, all these particular people have been sent there because they just don't work yeah, in, yeah. In, the, in a regular company somewhere important. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So like Toffler's like very religious and he annoys people and people make fun of him. So he's sent there. He's you know we don't not necessarily a coward but a bit uh, soft himself. Mm-hmm. And then you've got uh, you know Reich who's out of his fucking mind. <laughs> and ga- uh, and guys like Knox who just spends the I'd say the first three quarters of the film asleep and drunk. Yeah, and drunk. He just drinks constantly. Mm-hmm. Like he just stays drunk. So and then Hart you know is good enough to run this place but he's not much of an authority figure no i suppose not i suppose not (laughs) one thing i do um i do think is kind of interesting is that like they gave all these people kind of like you know like we basically we just listed them everybody kind of gets one trait and that's basically kind of like not a personality surrogate but that defines and informs a lot of what they do but i think it's kind of good that they do that and none of them i don't think feel particularly caricature no, no. I think they these are all really good actors, and they they incorporate that trait into their personality and broaden it from there. And the trait is again like it's used to tell the story. Like this, these guys are here for a reason, and they're probably not going to fare well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're not prepared for this, or they're in in Reich's case manically overprepared, <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't have the resources to get through it. Yeah, I mean that's I, I it does not feel like they're just sort of stupid archetypes, you know. No, no, but they're all well rounded enough. Even though they're like you say, Mitch, like you rightly say, they're not in the film for very long. You mm-hmm. do feel like yeah. you know them for the time that we're with them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, um, but speaking of great actors giving great performances, uh, things are about to change gears oh. pretty dramatically here as they're disturbed by the arrival of a badly wounded man outside. <laughs> There's nothing yes. quite like a mad Robert Carlyle performance. So yeah, Robert Carlyle here uh, as F.W. Cahoon wakes up with uh, no apparent knowledge where he's been. Uh, he's been apparently out there for three months and we get a little bit of that relayed in the form of um, another flashback. Ah, flashbacks make your head spin in this film. 
Yeah, there's there's quite a few flashbacks in this film, although I feel like they earn them pretty well. I, I'm not a huge fan of, of the flashback in general. I think it's um, you have to really earn it in a film. And I like how they do it, though, in particular in this sequence, because they, they when Carlisle, as Calhoun, is telling his story of how they traveled through the mountains and uh, got waylaid by horrible weather and they hole up in this cave a lot of it the camera just stays on him it's just him telling the story and he's such a magnetic actor he can pull it off Mm -hmm. but the little pieces of flashback they do give are like (laughs) blood running down someone's face (laughs) 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 traveling to the countryside so it's these bursts of violence to kind of punctuate the story and i i kind of like how they do that um the only time i don't like flashbacks is when they really lean on it to Almost like it's used as a a twist or a reveal. It's like, ah, uh, you know, I don't need all of that to fill that in. I, it, I don't like it when it's kind of used as a, a cheat to build a an action moment. You right. know? I was totally sure. just about to be like, I totally agree. And then I remembered how much I love the Saw franchise. And now I feel like kind of a hypocrite. <laughs> uh, I think that to a degree. Yeah, um, I I think that like the way that the flashbacks are done in this, I think it kind of gives them a pass on it as well. Because like you say, I mean, it's not like these are these like two to four minute sequences or anything like that. It's kind of just like nods and allusions to things. It never really breaks the momentum in any way. Does not exactly. That's actually you put that more succinctly than I was. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't break the momentum. It's like it, we just plow through the story and Carlisle's hitting the high points. Like he's getting you all the information you need, at least the information he wants you to have. Yeah. And, and like we were saying, I mean, this is his, I think this is his most, while not his most overtly scary role, it's one of his most conniving. Mm-hmm. And he's just magnetic in this performance. This scene in particular is amazing. It's very much the story of the Donner Party, but tweaked very slightly to suit, yeah. to suit the story of this film. But I like the moment when he's talking about, uh, and I walked in and there was just legs on the fire. Yeah, I came home and uh, they were cooking legs. <laughs> yeah, it bears mentioning that after uh, after you picked this map, I stayed deliberately kind of oblivious because I hadn't I hadn't, I hadn't even heard of it until I sat, until you mentioned it. Um, uh-huh. so, so I stayed, like I say, I come deliberately in the dark about what the actual plot beats were or what this was about. So I didn't know it was a period film, and until literally this moment, didn't know it was a cannibal film. <laughs> oh wow oh that's exciting now yeah this is cool it's like yeah part of the fact not, like part of the benefit of being this ignorant is that i do get nice surprises like this along the way not literally this moment because we did watch the film <laughs> so yeah th- this moment in the film when i was watching it. all right <laughs> this is the moment though you bring about a good point i mean this is the moment where you go oh it's this movie mm-hmm. it's this yeah. kind of movie <laughs> but um yeah it is reminiscent of uh the donner party as well as I, I read a little more on the history of it. There's this, there was this soldier right around this time, right around the time of the Mexican-American War and during the Gold Rush. Uh, this guy named Alfred Packer, who I think they really based Calhoun and ultimately Ives. Spoiler alert: Carlisle's character on this guy Alfred Packer, who in a similar way was with a party. I think the actual the real life story they were digging for gold somewhere. Yeah, Isn't and they just got stuck in bad weather isn't and alfred ate- packer the 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 character that cannibal the musical is based on oh it might be 
<laughs> I, I, I've heard of that, but I don't know much about that musical, but it, it might be. So this might be really similar to that musical in, in plot. That's actually incredibly similar. <laughs> that I was going to mention, uh, I was going to mention Cannibal the Musical and, and passing in relation to this, but when you mentioned Alfred Packard, I'm sure that's the character. For anyone who doesn't okay. know, uh, Cannibal the Musical is Trey Parker and Matt Stone's Cannibal Musical. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think that Calhoun's backstory that he's telling here is the Alfred Packer story in a nutshell, right. basically. Right, okay, okay, okay. And, uh, and Packer, in real life, Packer ended up getting put on trial. He asked for an appeal. There was a retrial, and he ended up getting uh, voluntary manslaughter, like 40 years in jail. Mm. So, I mean, he spent the rest of his life in jail. But, <laughs> but they, uh, they could never figure out if he maliciously murdered them and wanted to eat them or if it was, he was just that desperate. And I think he claimed, too, you know, in, in Carlisle's story, he talks about he left the woman behind to come find help. In the Packer story, apparently he says he killed her because she was threatening him with a gun and was going to eat him. Oh, <laughs> nice. So there's a, there's some truth. Um, it's it's a little ripped from the headlines. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. But I, I've read stuff about the Donner Party because the bit where Calhoun's talking about they had to eat the oxen, the horses, the dogs, and then they started eating their belt, yeah. their belts and their shoes. Yeah, that that apparently that was all going on with the Donner Party. They were forced to kind of gnaw on the the leather in their shoes to kind of give them any kind of sustenance. Yeah, that I feel like it's been a while since I've read or heard about the Donner Party, but I think, yeah, that was an aspect of it. They ate the oxen first, then <laughs> objects on their person. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Yeah, but yeah, here in the version of the story, in the version of events that we get from Cahoon here, you are right in saying that, um, according to his telling, uh, Colonel Ives and uh, Mrs. McCready are still out there, and um, yeah. kind of appeals to the good nature of the group, who then kind of put together this kind of uh, ragtag bunch of guys to go out and kind of rescue the survivors, which, incredibly risky venture. yeah yeah i love how hart uh jeffrey jones's character the you know the the captain of the fort is like we gotta go and immediately it's like oh my god you know he does it as though he knows exactly how to get there and they're going to be so prepared and they are so unprepared like he's dropping things along the way and most of the liquids they carry with them seem to be bourbon they're constantly drinking bourbon (laughs) on the site which is great but yeah, they decide they got to go to the cave and try to rescue the the potential survivors. Yeah, I think this is this is one of the best examples of what you're talking about about how quickly the story moves in this because I feel like this goes from idea to execution in like real time in the story in about 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe even less. I mean, they they immediately leave and pack in just enough tension and adventure in the hike there to make it interesting and also call into question Calhoun's sanity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because uh Toffler, our good Christian man Toffler, falls off a cliff <laughs> 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 and he's uh brought up brought back up by Reich and he's wounded. He's bleeding. And that night when they stop for the night and pitch a tent to sleep, Toffler uh is awakened by Calhoun uh licking his wound. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that is entirely disturbing. Imagine that was you, Mitch. Yeah. Imagine you fell asleep right now and you woke up and I was licking you. It's just so disturbing. <laughs> just I mean, thinking about. You thinking. probably you probably wouldn't be quite as surprised given that <laughs> you know me. That's true. That's true. Just be like, what did I tell you after last time? Um, <laughs> also, Mitch, quick question. Yes. If you had to, oh, for God's sake, yes. Would you eat me? 
<laughs> I'll, I'll come back to you on that. Ask me again <laughs> at the end. Um, uh, yeah, but um, I guess it's important to mention that just before they set off, we do also get um, from, uh, I, th- I think, George, we get the cliff notes of the uh, Wendigo mythology. Yeah. Oh, good point. Which yeah. is which I think well, I think it's important to touch on. Uh, if you eat another human, you take their strength, but you also basically develop this insatiable lust for human flesh. Do you know? I really like this. Uh, I it would have been so easy just to make another cannibal movie out in the Sierra Nevadas, where all this stuff has been written about so often. I think to add this element of the kind of supernatural, it's almost a vampire film. Uh, I, I think that's great. It's entirely unnecessary, but I find it quite welcome. You're talking about the Wendigo mythology being added in at this point? Yeah. Yeah, I th- I feel like I, I wonder at what stage of the writing that happened, but I, I actually do think it's it's important, and I'm glad you backtracked to bring it up, because I think it is important to the movie because the metaphorical elements of this movie, which I think have to do with greed and manifest destiny. I mean, as this movie goes on, Calhoun is essentially Gordon Gecko. he wants as much power and strength as he can get from eating people he's Mm -hmm. it's like a drug to him but he does it in such a philosophical way like the way he talks about he makes it very enticing um much like gordon gecko in wall street saying greed is good like i feel like there's a some kind of parallel there and i think the wendigo mythology sort of helps solidify the i know it's a supernatural element but, but kind of the drug like nature of it like it's like oh it's this thing causing it yeah i think i i I agree i think that i think it grounds it in something that like i say even though it's a supernatural thing um i think that it grounds it in something that feels a little bit more credible and a little bit more like with a little bit more substance yeah because you could go one of two directions with that it could be a a medical or a scientific thing which i think in reality if you eat human flesh (laughs) i say this like i've really researched this yeah go on please please continue to speculate about this please (laughs) when i used to eat human flesh (laughs) I think uh, what actually happens is it can cause some kind of brain damage, which right. I'm a little speaking out of turn, but I I read something one time about, and I feel like it was one time years ago when I watched this movie again, <laughs> but it actually can start to cause brain damage. I can shed some light on this from my extensive yeah. knowledge of eating meat, human meat. Okay. <laughs> Tribes started coming down with uh, what looked like kind of Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, which is the human equivalent of BSE, mad cow disease. Mm-hmm. It was called Kuru in the, the kind of tribes. Uh, it's basically a prion disease that turns your brain into sponge. Okay. Over, okay, over yeah. time, you lose your motor functions and stuff. But uh, it's incredibly prevalent in people who have recounted eating human meat. Interesting. So there you, there you go. There you go. There we go. That was, a, go. That was a science bit. Thanks, guys. Um, we also we also have um, uh, a regular listener, Matt, who specializes in uh, kind of uh, medical implications of certain things that happen in some of the films that we talk about. So um, I'm kind of hoping that by our minisode next week, she'll have interjected. Nah, she's the bone mama. She doesn't do <laughs> wet stuff. She only does the bones. <laughs> Maybe she'll still know something. But I feel like what you were just saying about it, that that's what I read. It like turns your brain into a sponge. Yeah. 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 And you lose all all facility. Right. I feel like going with a supernatural bent, like taking that tack, makes sense in this as the thing that explains the 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 need for meat, the yeah. greed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that one of my favorite moments of uh, and there and there are a lot of them, but one of my favorite moments of Robert Carlyle craziness in this film is how erratic his behavior gets when they get back to the cave. Oh God, yeah, That's yeah. 
Yeah, he's such a manipulator and he's so conniving. And when they finally get back there, like we already, he's already, he's already, I mean, even when he shows up at the fort, it's already, this guy feels a little off. And then his story just seems so false when he's saying, I fell asleep against Toffler's wound. I wasn't licking him. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> he's just, we're, we're already suspect. But when we get, when you get to the cave and, you know, Hart says um, he's just freaking out, you know, because he's back at this location. He's uh, getting freaked out. I think that's what he wants everyone to believe. But underneath it all, there's this sort of rabid excitement. Like he's going feral for a moment, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, he, and, feral was the word I had written down. Is it, yeah, it, he's so it, it's so unnerving and uncomfortable the way he's behaving. And it's so um, indecipherable whether it's dangerous or not that they, they just sort of continue with their exploration. And uh, at this point, they've tied him up, right? Like, they have him tied up so that he can't hurt anybody anyway. Yeah, his hands are tied, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of the licking of Toffler's <laughs> torso. It's just... <laughs> so, but yeah, I think that's one of my favorite moments, too, is when he's, he's, he's shaking his hands and... He almost looks like a preacher giving a prophecy he's re- receiving directly from God. Like he's just shaking in his boots. Mm. And it's it's a distraction. Yeah, because meanwhile in the caves, Reich and Boyd are in there exploring and they've obviously found a trail of blood uh, that leads to a hole yeah. in the, the cave floor. Um, and they, ascend, they descend only to find um, many corpses, but not enough. Or one too many. No, one too many. One, one too many for too the many. story to add up. Yeah. Yeah, they find the bodies, and what, what do they yell? They say, uh, they yell back out of the cave. It, I mean, Calhoun is already getting ready to attack outside, but they scream, it's a trap. Yeah, he's, on his, hands and, he's on his hands and knees digging a knife up that he's presumably uh, secreted yeah. away. Yeah, we come to find that he has buried a weapon, and this has been a trap and a plan all along so that he can eat more people. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty swiftly, he stabs Hart. Um, mortally, and when George, who's along with him, tries to shoot him, he swings hard around. And wait a minute, I might have that wrong. George throws a tomahawk. That's a to- it's a tomahawk. He swings him around, and the tomahawk then hits heart. <laughs> heart is just a target for everybody's yeah. weapon. This scene. <laughs> and then jo- um, George is shot off a bluff. Yep. Mm-hmm. George shot off the bluff by Calhoun, and then Calhoun tries to shoot Toffler, who's the remaining. You know, Toffler standing there shaking meekly he tries to shoot him but uh the gun either jams or is out of ammunition I'm it's out of sure. ammunition i think yeah 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 and that's a great line that calhoun has there <laughs> oh uh, that, uh, that is so annoying oh, yeah. Yeah, that is so annoying the way he, <laughs> <laughs> he tells him and he says run yeah um i feel like that was a trailer line in one of the trailers that is so annoying. Uh, yeah i can see that i can see that um toffler yeah. in the run-up to the kind of chase sequence here has all the sounds and mannerisms of a scared puppy mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's, like yeah. he, he spends most of the run-up to this like physically shaking and whimpering the the fact that toffler was even brought on this voyage what, what a waste of time because he's not <laughs> he's never cut out for this yeah mm-hmm. yeah and, it's, it's um, a strange choice even though, yeah even though i mean i guess he's maybe you could argue he's more competent than knox because knox is always drunk but yeah he runs off making puppy noises scared out of his mind and thus begins this chase scene we were talking about before with the uh upbeat uh music the strange <laughs> uh 
I got I don't know what we call it, bluegrassy kind of music. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, bluegrassy is not a million miles off the mark. Kind of no. like yeah, a little bit King of the Hill. Yeah, I think there's kind of there's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of kind of plinky plonky and some Jews harp and stuff in there. It's uh, very very yeah, strange. it's weird. It alternates it alternates between that and something that sounds very much like a, a Harry Manfredini score for Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, kind of a bipolar score here, but. It's not horrible. I mean, it sort of reminds us it's a comedy. I just don't think this scene is the most comedic scene. I think they could have carried it with just tension yeah. as well. I think I think that I think that that's exactly right. And I think that is something that's important to reiterate here that I would go so far as to say this film was a comedy. Yeah, overall, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't never ever takes itself too seriously even in the more serious moments where Robert Calais was waxing lyrical about the benefits of cannibalism it's so silly that you yeah. can't get caught up in it to the extent where you're you're anything other than grossed out by what's happening yeah I think the metaphorical aspects kind of keep you at an arm's length like it's not it's for sure I think if you were trying to decide between horror comedy or comedy horror I think comedy presides a bit more mm, yeah right yeah mm-hmm. um although it has some great jumps in it that work like when calhoun first shows up at the fort that for some reason it's not even visually a, a jump scare set up but when he appears in the window i think part of it is guy pierce's reaction and the stinger and it's also very atmospheric uh like anthony richmond is the dp and he's one of my favorite dp i mean he shot all of nicholas rogue's movies yeah. he shot don't look now wow which is like one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And I think his cinematography coupled with the wintry environment and how dark it is, like they definitely weren't afraid of darkness. No, 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 no. And I, so there's definitely some, the horror elements are very prevalent, but I would say overall, yes, this is a comedy. I mean, you can't, yeah, you can't get past that. (laughs) The Carlisle monologues, you can't get past those without saying, oh, that's, ridiculous i mean it's absurd it's absurdism yeah yeah speaking yeah. of absurdism there's a lot of absurd uh, very funny stuff that happens here like uh yeah. when <laughs> colhoun drops from a tree throws a knife into reich who falls off a cliff yep yes and then there's the kind of hilarious standoff at the oh, cliff edge before boyd in a, a moment of incredible bravery for someone we know to be an absolute coward does a john rambo and jumps off the <laughs> the cliff into the trees below Oh yeah. man, and then rolls down the hill for two minutes. I, yeah. I, was gonna, I felt like I was watching him fall for about four minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could, you could. <laughs> that might be something I have to add to. I've been cutting this reel for Graham Skipper for his rated R bar, oh, yeah. or speakeasy that he does, and I cut the reel for it every time. And sometimes I try to find scenes that I can sort of recut because they, they have a lot of jump cuts in them and I and I can recut them and make them go longer and this might be one I should give a shot you could make that tree fall last even longer than it is in the movie with the number of <laughs> setups that are in it it's so many jump cuts of him falling through a tree yeah it's 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 amazing, it's amazing. <laughs> and he falls like, and he's rolling so far and so fast that he somehow manages to incorporate the dying right into his role so it becomes a two-man snowball. Yeah. yeah, he does. He does. I mean, this whole scene is is really great, and I would imagine it took them a few days just to shoot this whole sequence. Because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> it's basically, yeah, they find Toffler, they find him, he's been gutted. Mm-hmm. Reich is like, oh, we're going to fucking kill this guy. They end up on the cliff. Uh, immediately, Reich is so easily taken out. Like, he's just shot. I know. Or he's still a knife. A he knife has a knife out. just at his chest. Boom. 
<laughs> yeah, and he falls off the cliff. Yeah, Boyd is so scared of uh, Calhoun, of Carlisle. He thinks it's a better idea just to jump off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> and and they do not shy away from Boyd's cowardice. Like, he, the whole chase scene, he's like, oh, God, can we just... I think we should just go back. We should we should go back. I don't have a good feeling about this. Yeah. Which also really amplifies the superhuman aspects of Calhoun. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So yeah, he jumps off. He, there's that long tree fall. He falls into Boyd as he's rolling down the hill. I mean, it must have taken a day just to shoot, two days just to shoot this rolling thing. Yeah, just yeah. some incredibly dizzy stuntman. It's crazy. I mean, and the, also the shot of Boyd jumping off the cliff in wide, the wide shot. Mm-hmm. Is unbelievable. It's so good. Like, I, it's crazy. I mean, I like how the... I I do think the movie, in a lot of ways, is trying to make this addiction or this disease of wanting to eat more meat prevalent throughout the whole thing. Like, even... It's just a matter of how the character reacts to it, but it happens throughout it. And people very quickly are into it. You know? It's like, oh, I can get regain strength and be stronger and live longer. I, I'm into that. Mm. Heart buys it. Well... Spoiler, we'll get to that later, but Hart buys into it, obviously. And I think it's interesting, too, how Boyd is constantly reacting to blood. Like, when they're fixing up Toffler's wounds earlier in the movie, Boyd shies away, and Wright kind of gives him shit. And really, he's just trying to stave off his hunger. Like, he wants to eat that meat. Like, he, he kind of has the same, at least that's the sense I get, is that Boyd has the same craving that Calhoun just had when he licked him in the tent. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, he... So anyway, he, I mean, right away, the, one of the first things he does when he realizes kind of how badly his legs injured and stuff when he's in the pit, which is horrible. That leg break is gross. Yeah, <laughs> uh, is he? Yeah. He knows I'm going to have to take a chunk out of old right here. Yeah, he 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 goes for it. He fights it as long as he can because he doesn't want to be that guy, that cannibal. <laughs> he knows it's the only way he's going to survive. So after he resets his leg, yeah, he takes a knife out, saws a chunk. And what does he say? He says, uh, it's okay for you now. You're okay now. You're dead. You're dead. He's like amping himself yeah, up to you've do got, it. Yeah, you've got nothing to be scared of now. You're dead. Yeah, yeah. And then he starts cutting into Reich. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of surprised that you don't see a little more of that because that's just like you literally just see him kind of stabbing into his trouser leg and then we're just kind of straight out. There's a lot of unpleasant stuff yeah. in this match. So if that's that, true. If that's what you're, what you're hungry for, then <laughs> you, you will be sated by the Yeah, end. well looked after. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, like so he, he hides out there kind of until it blows over, eats Reich for substance and then limps for home eventually. I think that I, mean, I was kind of pretty sold on this um, as it was, especially with like everything that's just happened, which I think plays out like the third act of something. But then he gets home, and I think that when he gets back to uh, Fort Spencer, I think that's where I feel like this film took a massive upward spike into something that I really, really like. Right, okay. Ah, interesting, yeah. Um, it, oh, we get a little bit kind of, he, he goes back and kind of asks a little bit more about the Windingo stuff to... Uh, Martha, who says obviously it's unstoppable unless you die. I and we, we get um oh what's the name again? Uh, General Slauson. Yes, yeah. So uh, the de facto leader um kind of has a conversation with him. I kind of like all that stuff, but when they talk about the arrival of the new colonel and it's Colonel Ives, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Alias, um aka Carlisle in disguise. I was uh yeah. I was a very happy boy in that moment. It's like, that's precisely my kind of twist. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love the way they do that reveal because they keep it on Guy Pierce. They keep it on Boyd. And you see his reaction on the introduction of the new guy who's going to be running the fort. 
and it's I. And then it turns the, the turnaround is on Carlisle. It's like he's Ives. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact the act- when when he says Ives, you can kind of see this kind of like wait a minute thing in Guy Pierce. Uh huh. Yeah, his reaction, his initial reaction, and then he introduces and Ives introduces himself, and then the Pierce's reaction to that is so weird. He like collapses violently. <laughs> <Yeah>. He just <laughs> kind, of fall, it kind of falls out of the wall. <laughs> yeah, he like literally throws himself into a dresser. <laughs> but uh, I also like this section of the movie, and this this I think the third act of this movie was criticized by critics a lot when it came out because it suddenly just became kind of an actioner. But I mean, that's what it is. I mean, where are you going to go? It has to go there. Yeah, I there's agree. got a big showdown. Just not, I don't want to backtrack too far, but one thing, we were talking about how fast this movie moves. From the moment they, the team goes out to the cave to find, to see if Mrs. McCready and the rest, the remaining, the remain, remaining people are alive, to this point where he, where Boyd hikes back to Fort Spencer on his own after eating Reich, like that section of the movie is only about 20 minutes long. I think it's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yep. it moves so fast. It's 20, 25 minutes. It does all of that. Yeah, it's 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 super lean. Like there is so much movie in this movie. Yeah, it's it's there's a lot of movie in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> way to put it. But yeah, well, like, I I think that um, and this is something that I think happens a lot in um, quite a lot of the films we cover actually, where um, uh, Boyd has got this kind of like this theory that he's trying to espouse to the other people, and it's obviously gonna sound a little bit crazy because it is. But also, he seems to do everything in his power to make himself out to be a crazy person while he's telling it. <laughs> yeah yeah he's not the most convincing storyteller i mean he just seems out of his mind at this point especially throwing himself around like he does and um you know martha doesn't give him much hope i do like that they give a little more of the mytho- the wendigo mythology here like you said and martha tells him he's like well how do i get rid of this because he's having nightmares he can't sleep he's having nightmares about <laughs> fire and eating meat yeah. and eat- <laughs> eating Reich and he can't escape the spirit of the Wendigo and he asks Martha like what do I do and she says you have to die you, you die yeah you have to this that's it that you can't get away from this now it will never end yep. and you know I think the two sides of this it's all a question of morality which leads to one of my favorite lines later but we'll get to that but like it's you got Ives on the far end of this who's now the commanding officer at this fort yeah and you Boyd on the other end who refuses to eat meat I mean, it's such a perfect microcosm of certain forms of politics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? But we know it's hopeless either way yeah. at this point, which is great, because then you can just enjoy the movie. <laughs> How is this going to play out? So nothing's going to work out well for anyone. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we get an- another amazing kind of speech from Robert Carlyle here, which this- adds a bit more backstory when he's talking about the the kind of numerous ailments and illnesses that he had, he was suffering from TB and a whole raft yeah. of other things that would likely in time have killed him. And then he heard this tale. I don't. Does he mention where he heard the tale of the Wendigo? I think he said that it was like a it was like an um a kind of Native American scout related right, to him. Okay, I think okay. he said. Um, and then he yeah. yeah he he took it upon himself to eat five men in three months. That seems like a lot. That's 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 good going. Yeah. I really like this scene. Uh, you know, this whole time Boyd is trying to convince everybody in, in a crazy way that he's responsible for the deaths of all these people, that he's a bad guy, no one believes him. And when Car- he even asks, they even asked Carlisle to show the where his wound would be, where they shot him, it's right, already yeah. healed. 
And um, yeah, this scene where they finally have a talk, they're, they're by themselves. It's the first time Carlisle's character, now Ives, it's the first time Ives presents to him why he let him live. He's like, I knew, he indicates that he knew he was still alive out there in the wilderness, but instead of killing him, first he reprimands him for not finishing Reich, not finishing eating him. <laughs> oh, <that's right. laughs> yeah, that was great, that's great. Um, you know, he ate just enough to get out of there and survive. But he, this is the first indication we get, I think, too, that Ives wants, he doesn't want to be alone in this, you know? He wants a friend. Mm -hmm. um, and my favorite line in this section is maybe my favorite line in the movie where he says, why don't you just give in? Why don't you just do this? And Boyd says, because it's not right. And Carlisle says, ah, morality, the last bastion of a coward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's so something Gordon Gecko would say. Like yeah. this is so, this is such a tome on capitalism unbridled. You know. I was gonna say yeah. Um, now, now you've made the Gecko uh, comparison. I can't unsee it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just that's just what it felt felt like, especially this time watching it to me. Yeah. I, I I think of all the scenes of kind of uh, Robert Carlyle craziness in this film, I think this might be my favorite one as well. I think I think it's 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 pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's great. But, um, so and then uh, Boyd attacks him. Yeah, yeah, and he cuts him, and he he, he gets really caught up in a kind of bloodlust while while Ives is taunting him, basically trying to get him to lick the blood from his hands. Really, this is probably the most vampiric that it feels. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's intense. Sorry, I'm looking at my notes, I'm trying to figure out what happens next. It's um, basically <laughs> after this attack. So, like you say, like uh, Calhoun kind of basically uh, kind of chides Boyd enough into attacking him and then Boyd's yeah. arrested and um, uh, that's kind of how he ends up kind of tied up for a lot of the rest of this but also yeah. um, it's around this time uh, Boyd is implicated in the mysterious deaths of all the horses and also Cleves um, which that's again just, just this is, just happens instantaneously I literally just watched this movie and I was looking at my notes to try to remember the order and I lost my spot but I always sort of mix up the order of events in this one section mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah they tie him up and implicate him in the death of, like, Cleves ends up dead. And Martha's, there's that great moment where Martha is making these discoveries and the blood oh, is yeah. Uh, yeah. dripping on her face and she's terrified and horrified. So, now I can't remember, Martha leaves after that. They tie up Boyd and she leaves to go get uh, Spencer's character again, right? Go get the yeah. superior. Yeah, Glosson just seems to spend the whole time or what's his name? Slosson. Slosson. Yeah. yeah, he just seems to spend yeah. the whole time turning up because presumably he's not close by. Uh, not originally. No. Yeah, he must be on the road back and forth. That this place must be the bane of his fucking life. Yeah, all this shit happening at Fort Spencer, yeah. and he's got to keep coming back at, to this skeleton crew way station with no people. Yeah, it's weird because <laughs> he's there and he has to come back so quickly. I mean, I guess I don't know if it's explicit, but I guess we have to assume that he is at a a relatively close town, like two or three days away, wherever Cleves went to get supplies. Surely, yeah, because otherwise you know you'd just be getting back and just be like, Oh, you gotta head back to Fort Spencer. It's like I'm just I just came from there. <laughs> it's a shit yeah, right. <laughs> It takes yeah. seventeen yeah. days to get there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah Martha's got to go to like Wisconsin or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, one of one of one of my favorite kind of uh, I, I'm gonna say twist comes up here when uh, we lose Knox uh, by very unexpected means. Uh, his sword is missing. Uh, instantly reappears, being embedded into Knox um, by none other than yeah. the previously dead and now revived Colonel Hart. Yeah, I love this. I love uh, that Martha leaves, and it's really just Knox 
Cleves is dead. Martha leaves. It's just Knox hanging out uh, with tied up Boyd and Ives. And he says, well, my sword's missing. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, uh, uh, Ives is starting to make a stew. Oh, yeah. And Knox drunkenly asks, is there anything I can do to help? And he's like, well, I'm sure later you can contribute. Yeah. He says, <laughs> he's so pithy and uh, prideful. And he just flaunts it without really overtly flaunting it, um, yeah. Carlisle's character. Yeah. And then, yeah, this the missing sword uh, turns up, and it's wielded by some an unseen killer who then opens up the uh, room that Boyd is locked up in, and it's uh, Colonel uh, Hart. It's Col- Colonel Hart, yeah. yeah, that's right, who I have down in my notes as a cannibal but otherwise normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's not happy with the the, the situation at all. Uh, we get kind of a we get the kind of bigger picture plan for uh, Ives uh, at this point. He uh, wants to kind of uh, recruit. Uh, Knox, not uh, sorry, not Knox, uh, Slauson and uh, Boyd, along with uh, Hart, to kind of like occupy the way station in time for it about to be kind of beset with travelers again. Um, to yeah. Uh, yeah, to basically just uh, kick off a big cannibal emporium. <laughs> yeah, it's like they kind of like he hinted at before. This is the big scene where they, you know, they start trying to convince Boyd again to join them because they think he's got the stuff, <laughs> even though he's. <laughs> coward and displayed an attempt at morality the whole time they they like him yeah and Hart Hart really likes him like we know that Hart has kind of a a fatherly feeling toward him I think and so they invite him to be a cannibal continue (laughs) being a cannibal with them and this is the scene where you know it's the next day they're continuing to uh, chop up I I think (laughs) Ives is outside chopping up Knox and saving parts yeah and yeah he explains like the gold rush is going to continue and people are going to come through here and uh, we can build a community here and be strong together and uh, take advantage of this. And you know, he's kind of indicating this is our fountain of youth. We can we can live forever here. I I uh, think I think it is kind of funny. Um, you kind of said it there. It's like um, I don't know what it is that they've seen in him so far that uh, <laughs> make them think that he would be like a worthy yeah. addition to the troop. Where it's kind of just like you know, it's like um, yeah, we wouldn't need you to do any of the kind of fighting or killing or anything, but we do need kind of like a payroll administrator <laughs> or or something, and you can do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he he's just a likable guy, and I think they can maybe somewhere inside of Boyd they see that animal. It's just really pent up, mm. you know? Yeah, and the, the um, animal's about to be released as well. Oh, it's going to be released, yeah. yeah. My other favorite, before we move on, though, my other favorite thing about this scene is this is the scene where Carlisle really gets philosophical as Ives, and he says, manifest destiny yep. before he explains the <laughs> yep. plan. Like, oh we are nailing this on the head um but one thing that kind of sent shivers down my spine in this scene because it's so prescient right now is that he has a line where he's like we will we won't choose people indiscriminately uh we don't want to break up families for god's sake oh god like, oh, yeah uh, looking at what's happening right now and the fact that this movie is a critique of the American way in some ways. I think I thought that was especially prescient. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> but yeah, um, to sort of uh, entice Boyd a little more, if that's the way you want to put it, at the end of this talk, when Boyd seems to not yield in his resistance, Ives stabs him mortally, like stabs him, and Boyd will not be long for this world unless he decides to eat human meat. Yeah, yeah I, that, I actually think this is really disturbing. Yeah, that's ultimately the, the decision he's been given. Like you can, yeah. you can eat or you can die, 
Um, mm-hmm. And there's some wonderful uh, kind of squinty eye acting here from Guy Pierce. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> this is. Uh, I mean, Guy Pierce probably has all of ten lines in this movie. I mean, there's not. I think he has more voiceover narration than lines. Yeah, yeah. God, he's in. He's, he's in most of the frames in this thing. And you're right. He's got so little to say. Yeah, it's almost like if the man with no name, like a Clint Eastwood character, <laughs> from a western, or, was a coward and you know played the coward instead, but had no lines. Or Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah it's like the drive character but yeah he just he just doesn't say much but i do think guy pierce is a good actor and he this role had to be hard to cast because you want somebody the audience can still root for even though he really is pretty milquetoast and doesn't do a lot no. i mean he, he's a coward <laughs> yeah, I, I think. Plain it, and simple. Yeah, but Guyfish just about gets it right. I think I think he he brings a decent amount to the table here, considering that, yeah how little the character kind of gets to kind of emote or do much. He is consistently yeah. acted off screen by Robert Carlyle, though. Yeah, I think that's oh, true. That's sure. true of almost everyone, though. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I I definitely want to speak to that more later, but I think Carlyle is the big performance here. I mean, he's incredible. You can see him relishing this role, and he hits his moments perfectly. Oh yeah, it looks like, it looks like he's having a lot of fun. So, I guess this would be a good spot to to talk the the backstory of this movie. Like it, it was direct the, the the original director was not Antonio Bird. No, right. It was this guy um, Milcho Manchevsky, who I'm not that familiar with. Same. <laughs> but apparently he um, he had done storyboards for the movie that would have added some weeks to the shooting, but they were like, all right, we'll give him the, an extra week, and he started shooting and. Long story short, it was so contentious that the producer, one of the producers was like looking at dailies every day and giving notes and trying to replace crew and he wasn't getting all the crew that he wanted and finally they had to part ways. And I think the way they, they, the way they parted ways is the producer, Laura, I think it was Laura Ziskin, she showed up with another director, this uh, guy who his whole career has kind of been a journeyman director, this guy, Raja Gosnell, who I think prior to this, his biggest movie was uh, Home Alone 3. Okay. Like, Jesus. So, of course, why not? Of course this guy's the right guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, supposedly the instant he showed up, there was half a day's work, and the cast just revolted. They were like, this is, no, this is not our director. Wow. And uh, it was Robert Carlyle who took a stand and said, you should hire my friend Antonia. She's right for this. I've worked with her before. She will knock this out of the park. And they all took a stand for her, and they got, essentially, Robert Carlyle got her hired. I think there were 10, according to Wikipedia, there were like 10 days of negotiations while they all waited in Prague for production to continue. (laughs) Wow. In Prague. I've been to Prague. It's lovely. I wouldn't mind hanging about. Hanging about in Prague, yeah. I've never <laughs> been. I hear it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So she showed up and uh, ultimately they came to a deal and it, and that it was never it was never a copacetic situation, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And even at the end of the day, I guess she didn't she didn't have final cut and there were things that were changed that she they recut things and put things in there that she didn't want in there. Yeah. Okay. But uh, you know, ultimately got it done. And yeah, absolutely. And I'm trying to remember why I got off on that. Oh, Carlisle, really? I mean, this really became his. He shepherded this thing, so he clearly wanted to play this role. Yeah, and and I, and I think that uh, he's so good in this that I think that if it had been anyone else, I can't imagine it working all the way in the way that it does. I agree. Yeah, he's just. It's one of my favorite performances of his in anything. Yeah. 
Um, next up, Boyd is kind of trying to appeal to Hart to kind of um, to release him. Hart resists for a few minutes and then um, <laughs> ultimately does. I am um, I like this. I am always kind of interested by uh, characters who take up the kind of like conventional villain role in a film, whether it be cannibals or like and like let the right one in when the girl's a vampire that doesn't want to be a vampire. When people are in that position, that's conventionally villainous, villainous, and they don't want to be there. And I think it's interesting that Hart obviously eventually. Um, releases Boyd on the condition that he kills him because he doesn't want to live this life, which I think is, again, I think it's a really cool moment and I think it's smart. Yeah, I also love the moment yeah. where he kills him and he slits his throat and the blood sprays all over the window um, and you kind of get a shot through the window of Ives watching it all take place, watching it all happen. Yeah, I love that. It's it's uh, really disgusting when he kills. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, I think, of all the... Uh, throat cuttings of all the carotid gushings in movies this one might be the most blood curdling i mean it just makes me cringe every time i see it yeah. no matter how i see it and the i agree the shot back through the window of blood running down the window over ives's face as he watches and he just has this carlisle just has this look on his face like ah oh, fuck this is of course is going to go this direction and now the clock is ticking because he has seen Slauson and Martha and everyone coming back and so now you know the shit is really hitting the fan and um, now that uh, Boyd has regained his strength by joining in the Knox feast I I like that this becomes just one massive brawl between these two for pretty much the rest of the film I had read somewhere that the original ending was going to be jumping around on rooftops while the kind of little cabins burned and stuff like that. I much prefer Mm. just a straight up fight. Um, I love this and I I understand why it takes as long as it does because obviously they're um, kind of supercharged if you like. Sure. However, I do think that the way this unfolds and how long it takes is hilarious. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. It's great. I like how it's not a super fast stylized fight. Like if it had been I actually didn't know about the rooftops thing and if it had been like a crouching tiger sort of ridiculous, that would not have been the right way to go. No. No. Um, I much prefer this kind of multi-location fight, but just uh, just very quick bullet points and uh, certain things that go down here. Um, (laughs) uh, Ives and Boyd acquire a pitchfork and dagger injuries respectively. Um, uh, Boyd at one point whacks um, Ives repeatedly with uh, a large piece of wood. Yeah, chops his arm with some chopper. Uh, yeah, somewhere in the middle of all this, a building also collapses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he pulls a post out from under a, an eave, and the whole fucking roof collapses on. See, Ives. <laughs> it does a good job of showing how stupid fights are. Fights are stupid. Fights never look good. No, that's true. Like, no, I think the the speed of this one, how it gets, it, it it speeds up and then it slows way down, and they get tired very quickly. It 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 feels very realistic. See when Ives staggers away from the, when after um uh, no sorry not Ives when Ives gets kind of buried under the rubble of the collapsing building, and then Boyd turns around and kind of staggers away from the scene with the dagger in his back, and then just yeah. just in amongst the rubble, you just see <laughs> Ives moving and reemerging. The first thing that it brought to mind for me was Peter fighting the giant chicken in Family Guy. <laughs> for fuck's sake <laughs> yeah yeah i always get that last stinger of it re-emerging um yeah I, th- I, th- I think it's great i i um i think it goes on for precisely the right amount of time i like i say the logic of it checks out but i think it's an absolute riot to watch <laughs> yeah the only beat of this whole thing that i haven't ever fully understood 
is the shot of Ives in front of the fire putting the sort of the Ash Wednesday cross in yeah. blood on his forehead. I'm like, wait, uh, th- th- like it's cool. And I like the design. I think there's like a series of, it's not jump cuts, but like little dissolves into him. And then he turns around and he looks really intense. And then he really goes into battle. I, but I don't, that beat doesn't feel like it flows with the red. I'm not quite sure what that is. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know what they're driving at. Yeah, unless he, I mean, for sure it's not explained, but maybe they're indicating that he is, the whole Manifest Destiny thing, he feels like it's his mission from God or something now. Like he, there's a religious overtone. Maybe he's he hasn't talked about it, but maybe there's he feels that he's been mandated by God to, to, yeah. to choose who lives and who dies and eat people. I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, like, but, I, I, that, that's, that's a reasonable theory, I think. Yeah, something like that. Like it's gotten to a divine, it's a divine, at a divine level at this point. Yeah, yep. Um, I think that the ending that okay. this pulls into is just about perfect i think it's fucking excellent ending yeah i agree i love it and the fact that they you know the whole fight culminates in boyd tricking him into a position where he can back him onto this giant uh well i want to say it's essentially a bear trap but it's so enormous it's a dinosaur trap (laughs) it's literally made to do exactly what it does in the movie (laughs) actual practical purpose i'm not sure what animal that's meant for no but yeah throws colonel ives down onto the ground and boyd knows based on what martha has said he really shouldn't survive either yeah (laughs) and he throws him down on the ground on this bear trap and uses his head to activate the trap and this giant bear trap closes on both of them that's insane it's such a mad visual um another great robert carlisle line right when it lands he just goes that was very sneaky yeah, <laughs> but it's the ne- yeah. it's the next thing as well. It's just he he's still keeping this this going. He's still kind of trying to tempt him and kind of trying to sell the benefits of cannibalism to him because he says uh, like, uh, yeah. so if I if I what are you going to do when I die? He says because if you die first, you better believe I'm going to eat you. Yeah. He says, but yeah. what if I die first? Will you eat me then? Yeah, I love this so much. It's fucking great. And it's like they're in this kind of final embrace together because they're pretty much fused together yep. at this point. Uh, and yeah, it's yeah. just a, just an excellent ending. It really is, yeah. And I, I, yeah, he is trying to carry the torch there at the end. He's like, will you eat, will you eat me? I mean, it has become philosophical for Ives at this point, which might play into that cross on the forehead moment. A little bit but he's i mean he's uh, he's fanatical about it at this point he believes in this way of life and that it must be continued yeah and, you know that i guess that gets back to the wendigo aspect too i mean this is a supernatural he's he's possessed by it yeah yeah, yeah. and i mean he needn't worry because the torch is going to get passed regardless of the outcome because you do see slosson uh eating the stew uh, yeah off of the yeah. sideline as well while this is going on yeah ultimately it's eyes that we do lose first Yes, uh, by an arrow margin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He dies, and then I—I I guess we have to assume. I mean, Boyd closes his eyes and <laughs> seems to succumb, so we have to assume he's—he's he's a goner as well. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, which? Which I, I think that yeah, like I think that in terms of it just being like kind of poetically dead on, about as good a resolution as you can get for this. Yeah, and it, and it uh, sort of ends with Martha surveying the damage. She just sort of looks through the hole in the door and has this look of resignation and kind of a look of uh 
I knew this would happen. <laughs> sort of like uh, Dr. Loomis at the end of Halloween. She just sort of stands. <laughs> and uh, she just sort of walks away. And Actually, she runs out of there, doesn't she? She runs out of the whole place. Like, I have to get away from this. <laughs> this place is cursed. Is <laughs> sort of the vibe I got from yeah. that. She just... She just gets the fuck out of there, never to return, probably. And yeah, and that's pretty, and that's pretty much all she wrote. And um, Andy, yeah, I, I I really like this film. I've seen it a bunch of times. It's just it's a lot of fun. It's gross and it's interesting, and there is a lot of depth to it. Surprising amount of depth to a film that on the surface does seem like a bit jokey at times, but it's yeah, it's it's got depth, it's got heart, and it's pretty sinister <laughs> yeah i uh i agree i think that um i think that there's a lot going on here both kind of thematically and tonally and i think that it balances all those things pretty well like i say i was kind of like i went in knowing nothing about it at all so i was kind of like very much blindsided by some of the places that it went but i think that like i say after kind of uh after your kind of first venture to the cave and when you kind of get into the straight Boyd versus Ives thing yeah. from the kind of mid-second act onwards, I was absolutely all in. I think that for a film that's doing something so strange, it does very little wrong. And like I said on the minisode when we announced this, yeah, we're probably going to come under a little bit of flack because it's generally considered a pretty good film by most people who've seen it. But that's the thing. Loads of people haven't seen it. And more people should because it, yeah, yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's great. I, I think that's yeah. I think that's the main reason I wanted to. I, I brought this up to you guys and wanted to do it is because it's a it's a far considering how troubled of a movie it was. It's far better than you would think. Except that yeah. it has the right to be. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good movie, and um, I think Antonia Bird and Carlisle, everyone involved, really triumphed over the issues they encountered with the studio. And on top of that. I think even though it has been reassessed by people like us, like genre fans who have seen it since, and they and it's well liked, um, it's much better liked than it was in the original. I mean, if you go back and look at reviews at the time, <laughs> even the good ones, which were there weren't many of, sort of scoffed at it. Like, well, you know. Um, and on top of that, I just think people don't know about it. Yeah, uh, I, I like look at Mitch. That. Mitch had never even heard of it. Yeah, see, there you go, Matt. Yes, it's been something in the region of thirty weeks since you were last on the show. What have you been up to <laughs> in the meantime? Oh man, let's see. I'm trying to think. Uh, so I've worked on a couple of movies with Joe Bigas. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, one of which was um, Bliss, which is making festival rounds now and will be playing at Fright Fest. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, which I'm really excited about. And, and you're I'll a producer on that one, right? Yes, I'm a producer on it. Uh, I was also in it, but. Uh, when we got around to getting the final cut of it, we the scene I was in, which is a great scene, uh, <laughs> ultimately, ultimately lost the scene because it just didn't, it just wasn't necessary. And I, I, I made them swear to me that it would at least make the Blu-ray <laughs> feature. Oh, cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was a producer on that, and uh, and I also just worked on another movie Joe directed called VFW. VFW, yes. Yeah. Fangoria movie that we shot in Texas. Cool, and that's looking great as well. I'm really excited for people to see that. And then, yeah, I'm in. Uh, also, just I acted in a bunch of stuff last year that's finally coming out. Like uh, Jill Giverjizian, who's been a, a guest on this she show. Has. Yeah, yeah. She's fucking awesome, and she directed a short film called One Last Meal, which was really fun for me because I got to play a role that is very different from what I normally get to do. It should be. It's going to be playing a lot of festivals soon. I'm sure it will. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, 
And then uh, and I'm in another short that is going to premiere at Scream Fest here in L.A. coming up called, uh, my buddy Zach directed it. It's called Allergic Overreaction. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fun uh, comedy uh, that I think plays on slasher tropes a little bit. It's it's pretty fun. It sounds promising. Right, okay, cool. And then, uh, the only thing I think of is I'm in a, I'm in a couple of features that are coming out later this year. One is called Arctic, spelled A R T I K. Um, yes. yeah. Um, with Lauren Ashley Carr. She's in it, and uh, Chase Williamson as well. A couple of um, people I've worked with before sure. in these yeah. genre films, and that that's making its festival its world premiere at Popcorn Frights, I believe. Yeah, there's uh, the, uh, the short mannequins that I produced, I believe, is also playing there. Oh, rad. Congrats. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, I can't wait to see that. Uh, so, yeah, that's premiering there, and it comes out later this year. It got picked up by Dread. Nice. And then, and then uh, I'm in another movie called Death December that should be out later this year. It's like a Christmas horror <laughs> anthology. Ah, uh, yeah. And, I've been hearing bits and pieces about this on the grapevine for a little while. Yeah, it's a lot of really short shorts. Not as short as like ABCs of Death, but it's essentially like an advent calendar. It's 24 shorts, little shorts leading up. Oh, cool. To, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, yeah. As if it's the 24 days leading up to Christmas Eve. But they're releasing it just as a full film. They're not releasing one a day or something like that. Right. Okay, that's cool. Okay. Um, that's cool. But uh, the one I'm in is uh, sort of a, um, a giallo basically. Ooh. Oh, excellent. And I play like the Ed Harris and Creepshow character. Which... <laughs> <laughs> it's, and it's period. It's very 70s, so that was fun. Too. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Super. So, uh, lots of stuff going on, Matt. Where can people keep up with you on social media? At Mercer Shark on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, that's, that's, that, that's it. Good. Yeah, yeah. That's that nice and simple. Yeah. Matt, thank you so much for um, uh, pitching this film to us and coming back and joining us for this. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it's just, just a little bit of a change for us as well to have someone kind of just uh, pitch out of the blue with something. And it was a really great call, really good selection. I'm glad you liked yeah. it, Mitch. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. There was a, a moment where I, th- I was skeptical whether you would because you looked a bit... You looked uncomfortable in your own skin. No, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, like, 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 ninety-nine times out of a hundred, if you just look at me, that's what I look like. <laughs> you're oh, like, dude. you're like uh, Vincent D'Onofrio in Men in Black. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Skin, while watching the movie, the skin starts to droop on your face. <laughs> it's an incredibly yeah, deep I'm, cut reference, I'm, but yeah, thank you, Matt. Thank you so no. much, Matt. And thank you for coming back. It's always lovely. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks for. Uh, for taking the suggestion i'm I'm really glad you that you liked it mitch and i'm glad we got to talk about it it's a blast cool uh matt will you be uh pitching up at fright fest this year do you think yeah i think i'm i think i'm coming i think i'm coming i i i, I i'm coming i'm coming ah there make, you go make it definitive right now i'll, <laughs> I'll see i'll see you at fright fest excellent i will see you there thanks very much matt <laughs> speak to you after it's always nice to hear from Matt. Yeah, lovely to have Matt back on. I'd have Matt on most times. I just think he's a lovely Matt. Yeah, yeah, anytime, anytime. And a great selection as well. So big thank you to uh, Matt Mercer for returning and bringing with him to the table Ravenous. Yeah, and what I would say to people out there is if you've liked anything of what you've heard tonight, please do check out Ravenous because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Oh, yeah, yeah, such an interesting film. And like I say, um, Matt, loads of stuff coming up. Jesus um, Christ. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, so, he's a busy man. Yeah, get following that guy. Loads and loads of news incoming by the looks of it. And I guess we are just about done once again. Christ, man. Yeah. Yeah. Just another one. Another one down. Yeah. This will be the 131st episode of this show that I edit. Good grief. Yeah. 131. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what think to do with that. Think of all those it. owls I've listened to our voices. Uh, I'm really sorry about that. Christ almighty. I'm surprised <laughs> I'm still alive. <laughs> 
Speaking of people who spend hours listening to our voice, big thank you to everyone for listening. Yes, you are absolute heroes. Uh, you make the time I spend editing worthwhile. And uh, we will be back on Monday with uh, Minisode 63. Yes. Doing all the usuals. I'm sure you know what that is by now. We'll be taking a look at your feedback. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. We'll be charting my progress through the Shockwaves 100. And tell me this. Will there be a Mitch's pitch? Oh, there will be a Mitch's pitch. <laughs> my friend. There will be a Mitch's yeah. pitch. And also, I mean, for date stamp purposes, we're doing this on a Monday and there has already been an unbelievably high standard of Mitch's pitch coming in this week for you guys. Yeah, I'm really keen to see what people make of the post of a fair game. Yeah, people people um, already really showing up for this one. Very impressed. Very impressed. <laughs> Wonderful. So if you want to join in and get in touch with us between now and Monday, there are, of course, loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram, we're Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC or email StrongLanguageViolentScenes at gmail.com. Yep, and whatever you're listening, still haven't gotten to the root of the problem with Stitcher. Those bastards. Yeah, so uh, they're top of the shit list for this week's minisode, <laughs> so stand by, Stitcher. Uh, Spotify playing yes, the game, Stitcher. so yeah, check out Spotify. They they do stuff, yeah. Cool. Uh, iTunes working fine, no problems whatsoever. Yep, a hundred percent hit rate with them as well, I believe. Yeah, but crucially, Podbean still not putting a foot wrong. No, no. Yeah, check them out. That's our home, our hosts, great guys. If you're starting a podcast, go to them. Yep, couldn't agree more. So we're back Monday. Join us then if you can, and don't forget, it is better to die a coward than live as meat in a world of Wendigos. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. <laughs>